Well, let me invite you now, turn with me to Nehemiah 8. Uh, and if you're wondering as you turn to Nehemiah 8, if that was my idea for Ryan Toller, uh, actually it was not my idea. I didn't oppose it because I thought it was an excellent idea, uh, but it actually wasn't my idea. The Lord leads in mysterious ways, other people as well. So Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, this rubble represents... The reminder that we live in a broken and burned world. And Nehemiah was used by God to restore the broken and burned. First, that begins with the physical restoring of a wall that surrounded Jerusalem. And after we have seen the destruction in Florida this last week, it reminds me again of in that time period, they took a two and a half mile long wall 39 feet high and 8 feet wide and restored it in 52 days. Amazing. It's no wonder the, the nation surrounding said, wow, God. They didn't say, wow, Israel. They said, look at the work of God because it really was only explained by the supernatural hand of God that a two-and-a-half-mile wall that size would be restored in 50 day, 52 days. But that's not where the story stops. It moves from a rebuilding of the wall to now the rebuilding of the people. And what we've seen is this. If we're going to rebuild people, he established we need some new leadership, some new protective practices. We need to know who's in. We saw that membership in the local church matters. And he introduced, after years and years of the absence of the word of God in their life, he introduced to them the reading of the word of God. And it wasn't just a random time that he introduced it. Do you remember? He introduced it on the first day of the Jewish New Year in Rosh Hashanah. He introduced the beginning. Let's read the scriptures. And so if you missed last week, we said, hey, let's be like them. And in the next 90 days, let's read the New Testament together. And if, if this past week and the unusualness of it got you off track, don't let that stop you. Get back on the bus, if you will, and go, I'm going to read the scriptures each day and track through us. In the sovereign hand of God, do you know what day we started our reading plan? You know what last Monday was? Rosh Hashanah. Maybe you missed that. Last week, we started it on the Jewish New Year, not because we're Jewish or not, and not because I planned it that way. It was just, wow, it's where Nehemiah 8 fell in the teaching of this year. So let me encourage you. Read the scriptures on a daily basis. And you'll see the great value. The point is, we read it not just to know. We read it to love God and love others. And we're going to see this happen immediately in Nehemiah 8. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Then on the second day, Nehemiah 8, 13. Then on the second day, the heads of fathers, households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of the law. So they finished Rosh Hashanah. It's the next day and they go, all right, 
Let's keep going. What else do we see? Verse 14. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches and myrtle branches, palm branches and branches of other leafy trees and make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof And in their courts and in their courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. He read from the book of the law of God daily, from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. And I love this passage. Because they determined, we're going to do what we have not done. We're going to read the scriptures. And by day two, they're like, well, what else is there? And then they discover, wow, there's something that we're supposed to be doing this month that hasn't happened in centuries. Let's do it. And they begin to practice what is identified in the Old Testament as this, the the Feast of Booths. And if you wonder, where were they reading? Where had Ezra chosen to read? Well, he had chosen to read from Leviticus. It's there in your message memo, chapter 23, about when God instituted this feast of booths. Again, Ezra is not simply picking random passages. He started when he started because it was the beginning of a new year, and this was important to a new start. Let's read the scriptures. And he picks on this second day Leviticus to read because he knows this is the seventh month. And if we're going to obey the scriptures, we need time to prepare in order to do the Feast of Booths. And so if you were to go to Leviticus 23, and we got a lot of things to look at today. So I'm not going to go and read that passage for us. I'm going to summarize it for you. You would discover there that the Feast of Booths is a seventh day, seventh month for eight days. It begins on the 15th of the month. So they read about it on the second in order to have time to prepare. Days one and eight are Sabbaths. They are days of no work. So that's why you have to be ready, your, your tent erected, if you will, before they begin. A, a Sabbath day at the beginning and end. Days two through seven, there are offerings to the Lord made and readings every day from the scriptures for the people. And again, remember this, they had to do public readings because they didn't have a Bible like you have a Bible. So they would gather and have these public readings. And then they learned that on the seventh year, it was the final day of the feast of, that they were to forgive all debts. 
After seven years, if you owed me money, I forgave it. It was gone. You could start afresh. So this is what they are practicing. What Nehemiah and Ezra share with the people that hadn't been practiced in hundreds of years. And you may ask yourself, why? Why would God want them, think about it, move out of your house, construct a temporary structure, and live in it for a week? Well, in that passage, Leviticus 23, it does say this. Do this so that your generations, see this is about generations, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, tents, booths, when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All right, so pause for a moment. Maybe you don't wrestle this. When I read this text, I wrestled with, how is this good? What purpose does it really serve to leave your structure, your house, and live in a tent? To remember when we used to be in the wilderness? Is this like, remember how bad we have it so we appreciate how good we have it now? Is that what's going on here? You're not sure, I can tell. You're looking at me like, I'll wait you out. Yeah, I was, I was like, that doesn't seem like a very effective, let's go, but hey, once we finally have the roof over and we're back in the house, we can go, all right, thank you, God, I've forgotten how nice this was. You know, because it is true. You don't really appreciate something until you... Don't have it. Is that what's going on here? Actually, I don't think so. It's so the generations will know that we lived in tents and I was the Lord your God. So I tried to place myself since I'm a grandpa. All right, we moved out of the house and we're in the tent. And Piper and Tate, two of my kids, grandkids that live here in town. Papa, why are we living in a tent? Can you imagine this? Why are we living in a tent? Oh, because Piper and Tate, do you know that pop pops, pop pops, pop pops, pop pops, pop pop? A lot of pop pops. Uh, used to be a slave in Egypt? No. Why aren't we slaves? Oh, because Piper, Tate. When they were slaves, God said he would deliver them. And this man was named a Pharaoh, and he was cruel and abused the people. And God sent plague after plague after plague. And you know what? There were like flies and locusts and disease. And it happened to the Egyptians, but not to us. 
guy wouldn't obey God. And so God said, I'm going to send death throughout all of Egypt. And the firstborn son of every family is going to die. But you? You're pop, 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 pops, pop, pops, pop, pop. If he would take the blood of a lamb and paint it on the doorpost, death would pass over our house. And none of our firstborn died, but all of the firstborn of Egypt. And so Pharaoh got so mad and said, get out. And we got out. Your God, Piper, your God, Tate, is a deliverer. What happened? It wasn't, I don't like this tent. There's bugs in here. It wasn't to appreciate what they had. It was to remember the stories of their God. The whole point of the Feast of Booth is that the generations would do what? They would hear. They would hear about, we used to live in a tent? Why? Oh. Let me tell you about your God. Let me tell you the generations about your God. And there were countless stories. Your God is the God who delivers. We were slaves and he delivered us from slavery. And you know what, Piper? He kicked us out and we just like a million of us left Egypt and then we got to the Red Sea and Pharaoh changed his mind. And he sent a whole army after us and Moses was the leader of us and he got to the water's edge and he lifted up a staff before God and the Red Sea, the Red Sea, it literally parted and there was dry ground and the Israelites walked through dry ground and and a million of them got to the other side and then they turned around and the army was chasing them and God closed up the waters and the horse and the chariot all were covered and floated in the sea. Your God delivers. You you get a sense of what happened? It was a a seven days of Tent talks, not TED talks, tent talks. Seven days of sharing truth worth remembering. So pop up. How'd they know where to go? Oh, glad you asked. You know what God did? Through the day, he would appear before them as a cloud and as a cl- this huge cloud in front of them would move. They would move with it. And then when the clouds stopped, they stopped, Tate. And when it took a left, they went left. And then when it got night, that cloud turned into a pillar of fire. And one time that pillar of fire came behind them and protected them. 
It's your God who delivers, and your God leads his people. He's a deliverer. He's a leader. Hey, Pop-Pop, did anybody want to kill him? Oh, there was this group of people called the Amalekites. And they came out and, and tried to kill us. And, and Moses took a young man. His name was Joshua. And he sent a young man out to fight. But we were slaves. We were like brick makers and builders. We didn't have any experience fighting. And we're out fighting. We were getting beat. But Moses went up on a hill and he realized when he picked up his staff then we would win but then his arms here take take this stick try and hold it up over your head for a long time and what starts to happen Ugh. every time Moses would rest then people would die and so Two guys got beside him, and one on each side, and they held his harness. And the other guy held his, and Moses held the staff up the whole time. And we defeated the Amalekites. A bunch of slaves beat an army. Because your God protects. But if you, Pop-Pop, lived in a tent and you were traveling, what, what did a million people eat? <laughs> every day, kids, every day when they got up in the morning, there was food laying around on the ground. And not just a little food and not just piles of food, there was food laying on the ground every day, enough to eat that day. Not more, not less, just enough for that day. Except, you know what, Tate? On Friday, there was twice as much. And then on Saturday, there wasn't any. Because they weren't supposed to pick it up on Saturday, so God gave them twice as much on Friday. Because Piper and Tate, your God is a provider. Are you catching the spirit? Can you imagine seven days not to grumble? Not to complain, because imagine this. We don't like this. This isn't nearly as comfortable. Oh, Piper, let me tell you about when your pop-pops, pop-pops, pop-pops people complained and grumbled against God. <laughs> and you won't ever do it again, I promise. This is not, hey, let's, let's make it hard so we appreciate what we have. This is a phenomenal week 
of remembering and retelling what? The stories of your God. I can tell you think, man, this, why don't we do this? This would be like good. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. And here's the answer. Therefore, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Sorry. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, a feast, or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Why not? Next verse. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Why don't we do the Feast of Booth? Not because it wouldn't be worthwhile, but because we have something far, far greater to look back on. They look back on the shadow of who their God was. We get to look back on the substance of who our God is, and that substance is, what did it say? The substance is Christ himself. And so what I want us to capture is they did a feast of booths for a week, once a year, in order to remember their God, but also to foreshadow something that would be even greater than what they experienced, and that substance would be Jesus. Jesus would be the substance which the shadow was leading to. You tracking? See, if you're not, what we're, what we're discovering this morning is the whole scripture fits together as one. All of the stories of the, of the Old Testament, all the things that God revealed himself to be to his people are not just history, They are shadows that are pointing forward to the coming person of Jesus Christ. And we, as the people of God now in 2022, get to look back. And we can see way back to the shadows and appreciate the shadows. But we are to look back to the substance that caused the shadow. We look back and we celebrate the person of Jesus Because does he deliver? As you track it across, if you're filling in your message memo, our God who delivered, does he deliver in substance, not just in shadow? Yes, we know this. 
We know for Christ, who is the substance, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That this is why John the Baptist said, behold, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, pointing to Jesus. He recognized that all that happened with the people of Israel was a leading up so that we would understand that story has a better story. The story not of a lamb for an individual, but the story of one man for all mankind. That's the substance, that Jesus is our Savior, and Jesus is our Passover lamb, that he died in our place, that he is our substitute, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus is the substance of deliverance. Does he lead us? Maybe think differently now about a text that maybe you've heard in the past. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus saying, I'm the substance. I'm not a cloud. I'm not a pillar of fire. I'm a good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. See, all this picture of a Pharaoh who let them go and then tried to take them back and to snatch them back. The shadow says, no, God is greater. And Jesus says, I lead you. As a shepherd leads his sheep. And you know my, if you're mine, you know my voice. And you follow me. And once you're here, no one, no thing can remove you from the Father's hand. You didn't work your way in. You can't work your way out. The substance of Christ is that he is the shepherd, the good shepherd, who leads and speaks, secures his people. That is why Ephesians 1 that we studied together reminds us that our salvation, not only that we are chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and informed, we are sealed as heirs, of Christ. So does he protect us? Hmm, what's he protect us from? Because this is a this can be a difficult thing for some in New Testament times. Does he always protect us from hurricanes? No, I think the reality is that if we lived here in Jacksonville, the vast majority, it became a non-event. But that's not true for Southwest Florida. 
Any believers there? Any of God's children there? Yeah, lots of them. We have some very like-minded churches along the southwest coast. And, and you, know, you can watch video until then it's your friend or a family and you go, now that's a kick in the gut. And it will test when, when storms knock your house down or storms fill your house up with water or storms of cancer invade your family. My friend this morning said in the foyer, it'll test your theology. What do you believe about your God? Do you believe that he protects? Well, he doesn't protect us from storms called hurricanes. He doesn't promise that a car will never run us over, that cancer will never take someone we love or us. What he does promise is this, O oh, death, where is your victory? Where? Where? <laughs> Where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over what? Over sin and death. So, Will we die? Sometimes earlier than we hope? Yes. Will we have loved ones die earlier than we hope? Will we lose our possessions? Will storms wash things away? Yes. Is God still our protector? In the far greater way, he protects us as he has conquered both sin and death and there the fear that comes with it. So let's be clear on what we know. That that which apart from Christ would cause us to fear and death would have victory. It does not have for us in the substance of Christ. And his provision for bread and water. You know, he gave them bread every day, manna, twice on Friday. What'd they drink? And there's this great story that we could tell the generations of there was nothing to drink. And, and Moses takes his rod and he whacks a rock. And enough water comes out of a rock to quench the thirst of a million people for days and days and days. Wow. See, that's worth remembering. <laughs> that's worth retelling. Do you not have any great family stories that you like to retell? You probably do. I hope you do. None of them match that stuff. And it was all to lead to something greater. Who? Jesus, who comes along to a hungry crowd. And he says, I am the, I am. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. See, the manna was awesome, except you needed it tomorrow. 
And every day you need it. And he says, no, I go beyond manna. I'm the bread of life. And he who eats of me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Next chapter in John. I love this. Love this. Don't miss it. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, Paul's, what feast? Jesus in Jerusalem, on the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, on the last day, after seven days of remembering and retelling the stories of how God had provided for his people food and water, he stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, the rock, and drink. I hope your awe of God is raised a little this morning. If you can appreciate <laughs> that this world is not haphazard and the work of God is not random, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, God was working in ways that would be shadows that would come to be revealed in a person so that people who had heard the stories it was intended that when they heard the person that those who had celebrated for seven days and remembered would then hear a man say I'm living water and I'm bread of life and they would go oh we see it what a what an amazing God we serve. Does he provide? Yes, he is the ultimate provider of living water, the ultimate provider as the bread of life. Now, I hope, I hope this has been informative to you. I hope maybe you have, again, a, a greater appreciation for your scriptures. Maybe you'll be like, hmm, after I finish the New Testament, I ought to go back and read the Old Testament. Because there's fascinating stuff going on there. Or maybe we can just gather together and listen together. You see, what's this really have to do with us beyond informing us what God has been doing through human history? I want you to turn to one last place in the scriptures, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, if you've never really thought about it, Hebrews is written to Hebrews. <laughs> in other words, Jewish people who had grown up with the shadows but didn't realize they were shadows until they came to faith in Christ and now they are trying to understand 
how does the Old Testament shadow fit into the New Testament reality of Jesus? Which is why oftentimes it's difficult for Gentiles to understand the book of Hebrews because it talks about all these shadows that they understand well, but we don't get. Because we haven't practiced the shadows. But it's a book written for people who have understood the shadows to understand how they relate to the substance, Jesus. What we've just kind of done this morning. And here's what Hebrews chapter 10 says, verse 23, 24, and 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, or the day drawing near, meaning the end of time as we know it on this planet. As we see that drawing near, we need to hold fast our confession. We need to be spurred on to love to good works. We need to be encouraged by one another. And how does that happen? How do all three of these, those th things happen? Holding fast spurred on to love and being encouraged. How's that happen? By what? Not forsaking the assembling together. See, what I think is happening in the time of Nehemiah and how that relates to now is this. The people had stopped remembering and stopped retelling, and therefore were not walking with their God. So what did they need? They needed the word of God, and they needed to start gathering together and remembering what God had instituted into their year to do the very things that had stopped happening. What's that have to do with us? That we would, church, and I realize I'm talking to those who are here and I'm grateful. Would we be here consistently? Week in, week out. Because we don't have an annual feast of seven days and going and living in a tent. What we have is a weekly gathering to worship. And maybe you've never gone on our website to our worship ministry. But do you know what the purpose statement of our worship ministry is? The purpose statement of why we gather? To remember. To retell. And to respond. I didn't make that up. That's been there for years. That's why we gather. That's why we stand on the stage 
every week and say, we pray that you would meet the Lord in our service today, that you encounter our God today. Because our weekly worship is to lift up, remember, retell, and respond to the substance of Jesus Christ. And increasingly so, as we become mobile in second places, it's increasingly so that people only come to worship twice a month. And what happens? We're not encouraged. Our love dwindles. And people fall away. See, I think this passage is speaking to us and why we need to regularly gather for worship as they needed their feast of booths to remember and to retell. So, I'm glad, I mean this genuinely, I am so glad you're here this morning. And I'm so glad when you prioritize consistently being a part. It, it matters. It can become meaningless repetition. Church attendance can become meaningless repetition. That doesn't mean we shouldn't come. It means we shouldn't make it meaningless repetition. And so, when you walk in these doors here south over north, when you're out of town and you go, even though I'm out of town, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to log in. <laughs> Do so with this heart. I want to remember my God. And when we sing, what are we doing? We are retelling. That's what we're doing. I stood in the back this morning singing again, refreshed in my mind. With this, why do we say? Why do we say this stuff? Why do we sing songs? It seems so funny. We sing songs to retell the truth to ourselves and to one another, and we respond. So presence matters, and Jesus said. I'm going to give you a symbol. It's not a tent, but it's going to be a a basic piece of bread and some juice. Juice here, wine then. Don't let that mess you up. And it's going to be the reminder of what I did for you. And I want you to do this in remembrance of me. You see how it's fitting together? And so regularly, and guys are going to come forward now. 
regularly we share in the Lord's Supper together because we are doing what God has intended to write into the lives of his people, and that is moments of remembering and retelling. So can I? Can I, as the men begin to pass, go ahead, guys, as the men begin to pass, can I retell the story? Could you look up here and listen to the story like your Piper Tate? (laughs) That God took on human flesh. God became a man. Born of a virgin. He grew up in a family. And he lived more than 30 years as a single man and never sinned. He never had a dirty thought. A moment of revenge. He never coveted. He never worshiped another God. 30 years he lived a perfect life. And people falsely accused him. Maybe you read this in Matthew just this week. People falsely accused him. And he didn't defend himself. He said, Father, this is the reason that I have come. And sweating blood, he said, Father, not my will but your will be done. And he willingly gave himself to be offered up on a cross. And upon that cross, he did not just die a horrible physical death, though it was. On that cross, your sin, my sin, the sin of all the world and the punishment that it deserved was poured out upon him and the world went dark. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he became sin for us. And he said, it's finished. And he breathed his last. And they took his body down and put it in a tomb. And three days later, that stone was rolled away and that Jesus was alive. And he appeared to over 500 people saying death did not win and sin will not win. I am your savior. And then with his disciples watching, he went into the sky and he said, I'm going to ever live to intercede for you. And then I'm coming back. And we're going to have the party of all parties for all eternity.
take this in remembrance of your God who delivers, who leads, who provides and protects. And his name is Jesus. Stand and let's sing together. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. serve a faithful God. Let's not forget as we we walk out of here, we have the God of the universe living in us and he's faithful. And then we're going to gather next week. We're going to remember, retell, respond to the gospel. We can pray with you. Um, We have men and women between each service who would love to pray with you, talk to you if you have a moment. Uh, God bless. We'll see you next time.